mercy, that means he's been better to you than you've been to yourself. That means he held back what you deserved and gave you what you didn't deserve for his goodness and his mercy. We offer you praise for your goodness. Nah. He is worthy of glory and honor. Worthy of all. Not some, not much, not most, but all. All the praise. He's worthy. He's been better to me than I've been to myself. He, he's been better to me than my mama or my daddy, my sisters or my best friends. He's been better to me. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He got me through. Yeah, okay. He helped me get through that class with that teacher that got on my last nerves. He's been better to me than I've been to myself. He gives me the ability to go into a workplace that I would rather quit on. But he's been better to me than I've been to myself. He's given me the ability to swallow what it is that I'm dealing with. He's been better to me than I've been to myself. He's a grateful God. He's a graceful God. He's a faithful God. He's a... Good God. Amen. He's so worthy. 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 Hey, God. We thank you, God, on today. We honor you, God, on today. You're worthy, God. You're a faithful God. You're consistently consistent. You're faithfully faithful, oh God. You're merciful, oh God. And so for that, we say thank you, oh God. For that, we give you praise and honor and glory that you are due. For that, oh God, we sit in honor of you. We sit in awe of you, oh God. We thank you because it should have been another way. It would have been another way. It could have been another way, lest you sent yourself son to die on our behalf lest you sent your son to redeem us and to rightful relationship with you so for that we say thank you oh God you're worthy you're worthy you've been better to us than we've been to ourselves so for that we say thank you oh God we thank you oh God we thank you that for this appointed time oh God so I ask right now that you move by your spirit right now in the name of Jesus, amen. You all can be seated. Oh. <clears throat> Today, 
we are going to continue with the theme of understanding our value and our worth. <clears throat> and I ask that you would meet me in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. And I ask that you to sit down because we're going to read the whole chapter. <clears throat> so you be comfortable and I'll make it do what it do in these hills. Amen. So y'all just reach your hand towards my feet and say, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Genesis chapter 37. I'll be coming from the Living Bible. Translation. Yeah, okay. Um, and let me say this before we get started. I sense, so, so the enemy has been busy, okay? I mean, but that's his job, right? Uh, but literally, when it came to getting this message prepared, everything possible <laughs> that could pop up was popping up. I, I went to sit and get everything scheduled in together, and my internet was acting funny. I couldn't save what I was writing down. I, I went and sent it to myself, and it had the audacity to say nothing in content, no, nothing download. I, literally. And then I began to realize that the worth of the word that's about to come forth is such that the enemy don't want y'all to get this word. The enemy does not want the youth and even our young adults and those young at heart to begin to truly understand their value and their worth because understanding that, accepting it and then walking in it would mean the destruction of his kingdom on earth. And so today, beyond anything else, I want you to truly open up your hearts and your minds to the understanding that you've got worth, okay? You've got value, okay? Immeasurable value, okay? You're so worthy that the enemy will try to do any and everything to dissuade you and to make you doubt what's really inside of you, such to the point that he was trying to trip me up. But guess what, devil? It is so. Turn to your neighbor and say, you worthy, baby. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you worthy, baby. Now touch yourself and say, I'm worthy, baby. I'm good. I'm some good good. I'm top quality. I'm worthy. I'm valuable, baby. Genesis chapter 37. And it reads, so Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived. And Jacob's son, Joseph, was now 17 years old. His job, along with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, was to shepherd his father's flocks. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that they were doing. And now as it happened, Israel, who is also Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph was born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob gave him a special gift, a brightly colored coat. His brothers, of course, noticed their father's partiality and consequently hated Joseph. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And one night, Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing even deeper hatred. Somebody said hatred. Hateration, okay? Listen to this, he proudly announced. We were out in the field binding sheaves, and my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered all around it and bowed low before it. <laughs> 
So you want to be our king, do you? His brothers derided and they hated him both for the dream and for his cocky attitude. Then he had another dream and told it to his brother. Say, Joseph, why you had to do that? Listen to my latest dream, he boasted. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. And this time he told his father as well as his brothers. But his father rebuked him. What is this, he asked. Shall I indeed and your mother and your brothers come and bow before you? His brothers were fit to be tied concerning this affair, but his father gave it quite a bit of thought and wondered what it all meant. And one day Joseph's brothers took their father's flocks to Shechem to graze there. A few days later, Israel, who is Jacob, called for Joseph and told him, your brothers are over in Shechem grazing the flocks. Go and see how they are getting along and how it is with the flocks and bring me word. Very good. Joseph replied. So he traveled to Shechem from his home at Hebron Valley. And man noticed him wandering in the fields. Who are you looking for? He asked. For my brothers and their flocks, Joseph replied. Have you seen them? Yes, the man told him. They are no longer here. I heard your brothers say they were going down to Dothan. So Joseph followed them to Dothan and found them there. But when they saw him coming, recognizing him in the distance, they decided to kill him. Here comes that master dreamer, they explained. Come on, let's kill him and toss him into a well and tell father that a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what will become of all his dreams. But Reuben hoped to spare Joseph's life. Let's not kill him, he said. We'll shed no blood. Let's throw him alive into this well here, and we, and that way he'll die without our touching him. For Reuben was planning to get him out later and return him to his father. So when Joseph got there, they pulled off his brightly colored robe, threw him into an empty well because there was no water in it. Then they, they sat down for supper. Suddenly, they noticed a string of camels coming towards them in the distance, probably Ishmaelite traders who were taking gum, spices, and herbs from Gilead to Egypt. Look here, Judah said to the others. Here come some Ishmaelites. Let's sell Joseph to them. Why kill him and have the guilty conscience? Let's not be responsible for his death. No, for after all, he is our brother. (laughs) And his brothers agreed. So when the traders came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out the well, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and they took him to Egypt. And sometime later, Reuben, who was away when the traders came by, returned to get Joseph out of the well. And when Joseph wasn't there, he ripped at his clothes in anguish and frustration. The child is gone, and I... Where shall I go now? He wept to his brothers. And then the brothers killed a goat, spattered its blood on Joseph's coat, and took the coat to their father and asked him to identify it. We found this in the field, they told him. Is it Joseph's coat or not? And their father recognized it at once. Yes, he sobbed. It's my son's coat. A wild animal has eaten him. Joseph is without a doubt torn in pieces. And then Israel, who is Jacob, tore his garments and put on sackcloth and mourned his son in deepest mourning for many weeks. His family all tried to comfort him, but it was of no use. I will die in mourning for my son, he would say, and then break down and cry. Meanwhile, in Egypt... The traitor sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Potiphar was captain of the palace guard, the chief executioner. Somebody say amen.
for a short time, and I do mean short, <clears throat> I want to talk to you all from the subject, the weight of the weight. The weight, that's W-A-I-T, of the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. The story of Joseph is one right with promise. It's not an unfamiliar story. It is a story that many can find their place in when it comes to being the underdog, the one who is pushed to the bottom and yet rises to the top. It is a story that yields the corral and the praise of those who can identify with the trauma of being cast down and cast aside. And yet today, that's not what I want to focus in on. Today, I want us to focus in on not so much the redemptive quality that is found in the story, but, uh, but on the overlooked and often misinterpreted component that we often miss whenever we're reading this story. You see, we can revel and marvel about how God worked it out for Joseph's good. And yet just as easily we can walk away not understanding that there is a message that we might be missing and a lesson that we must grab hold of. With this particular story of Joseph, I believe that the power of this text is found not so much in the end of the story, but in the preliminary process of his promise. That while the palace was his end game, the poignancy of this message is found in what can happen when you fail to recognize the weight and the responsibility that accompanies the call and the gift that's over your life. I need you to understand that simply acknowledging the redemptive quality of God's work does not eradicate your own personal responsibility. That God's redemption is not always synonymous with God's original intention. That just because God has worked it out for your good in this particular way does not mean that it always was intended for it to go that way. I'm saying that I believe Jesus' story capitalizes on a teachable moment that's best attributable to the saying that when you know better, you will do better. What am I saying? I'm saying that, yes, it worked out for Joseph's good. Yes, God worked it out. God took all of the pieces and he ultimately ended up in the palace. But sometimes we take a route that's unnecessary because we're not learning the lessons that are before us. What I'm saying is, listen, I don't want to make it harder for me. I'd rather work smarter than harder. I'm not saying that life is not going to introduce me to pain. I'm just saying that if there's some pain that I can avoid, then I would rather do that. I don't want to continue to engage in the patterns of my parents' past mistakes, all because I won't learn my lesson and do something differently to get to my destiny. I'm saying Joseph's story can teach us what not to do to avoid unnecessary pain. No matter if you're a teenager like Joseph thinking you know it all. That in adolescence trying to figure out your way. Trying to figure it out. Or even if you're like his brothers feeling like you've been invalidated, overlooked and overshadowed, and that somehow gives you license to engage in poor behavior. Or whether if you're like the daddy, 
blind to the impact of how your own pain is replicated right in front of your own household, I'm here to tell you that today, if you're under the sound of my voice, as we dialogue through this text, you are now being acquainted with the opportunity to learn better so that you'll know better so that you can do better. That this will be the time that you will understand the weight of the weight. W-A-I-T versus W-E-I-G-H-T. The weight. Typically when we think of the word weight, W-A-I-T, we're thinking about the time it takes for something to fully come into its fullness, its being. The time it takes to endure a thing. But beyond that, for today's purpose, I want us to consider the word weight to be synonymous with serving. You know, like a waiter or a waitress who's serving those who it's in pres- is present in the restaurant. I want us to begin to consider how well are you serving the weight of your gift? I, I want you to consider what are you doing to make sure that you are handling your value appropriately? How are you showing up for you to do what God has called you to do? How are you honoring yourself? How are you behaving? How are you governing yourself? Are you serving yourself worthy or not? What are you doing? I need you to understand the weight of the weight. You got value inside of you and I need to, ha- I need to see how you're handling that. How disciplined are you? How intentional are you? you? What are your efforts looking like? How are you showing up in school? How are you showing up at home? What are you doing? Are you acting out? Are you misbehaving? Are you using your environment as an excuse to dishonor the value that's within you? I'm not saying your life ain't hard. I'm saying that when you're sitting under my voice, you have the opportunity to choose for yourself how it is you desire to bring forth the weight of your value. You're gifted. You're valuable. And if we don't learn how to be good stewards over what's in us, then we will miss the full manifestation. The dream will remain a dream instead of a manifested destiny that's assigned to us. So you can't just wish for it. You're going to have to work for it. And so today I desire to help you understand how it is you're going to understand the weight of your weight. Yeah, I know. This one's going to be a tough one. I, I didn't think I was going to really preach. First thing I think you need to understand is that when we find Joseph, he's 17 years old. And that's a ripe age. You know, um, Joseph was right on the cusp of adulthood. He was right smack dab in the middle of adolescence because we know adolescence now carries up to age 25. Okay. So he is trying to figure some things out. He's trying to he's trying to learn of himself. He's trying to balance who it is he thinks he is in, in the face of who it is he's been told he is by his father or shown that he is by his father. And so we find him right now in between the contrast of being immature and premature. He's immature because he hasn't quite fully developed into the magnitude of who he's been called to be. And yet he's prematurely being thrust into the realization that he's got more on him, that he's favored in a way. But here's the problem. He has been thrust into that without proper mentorship. And so because he was thrust prematurely, he didn't know how to handle that thing. And whenever you don't know how to handle a thing that's put on you without proper mentorship and guidance, you will find yourself succumbing to what we call 
arrogance. And arrogance is nothing short but insecurity driven by ignorance, draped in the illusion of confidence. I'll say that again. Arrogance is nothing but insecurity being led by ignorance, draped in the illusion of confidence. Because you haven't fully grasped the fact that you have value, you're left trying to fill in the pieces, trying to fit into what's been spoken over you because ain't nobody guided you to show you how to be humble. So you look arrogant. And let this be a lesson to every adult who has interaction with a child. We have been tasked with the responsibility of cultivating and developing every gift we see inside of our young person. Because we are called to smooth out the edges. When they don't have it, they're left to fill in the pieces. Because no one tells them, baby, I'm speaking greatness over you. Not because it's supposed to be filled immediately, but this is for you to grow into. So the first thing I need you to understand is that if you're going to avoid the pitfall of being arrogant, then you have to really accept that you've got value. When you know you're really worth it, you don't have to fake it. Confidence is quiet. Insecurity is loud. So if I see you, but I see you, then I know you're trying to cover up something. And the Bible says that Joseph was cocky with that thing. And the only thing that I can surmise is that he was cocky because he was trying to convince himself that he was worthy and didn't have a daddy who would sit and talk with him. Because money and gifts are not enough to give me value when I need your attention and confirmation and communication. I don't need you to keep buying me things. I need you to pay attention to me. I don't need you to rebuke me. I need you to remind me of what it takes to grow into my greatness. So, Joe, so, so, so Joseph became arrogant. But this is, not a, this is not a dig at Joseph because he went before us so that we don't have to fall in his steps, right? So, so when you see a young person who is gifted, when you see a young person that got something on them, then we have to be responsible for how we nurture that thing in them, how we teach them how to handle it. We got to teach them how to respect it. Because if not, then you shift into what I like to call audacious arrogance. Yeah, because see, Joseph, not knowing who he was, being uncertain, went ahead and kept wearing that colored coat. <laughs> Not even realizing, well, well, before, so he got the coat, but then he gonna keep on telling his brothers his dreams. And it's not just regular dreams. Uh, all of his dreams talk about how great he'll be. <laughs> <laughs> and how they'll be answering to him. Now, I, for the life of me, couldn't understand why that boy would continue, because none of what they were saying back to him would give him the impression that they cared to hear that. But whenever you're so thirsty for affirmation, you will find yourself at the mercy of those you come in contact with. And if you don't learn how to accept the value that's within you, you will make yourself a target for those who cannot handle and will try to hinder the calling that's on 
your life. He was bold and brazen with it because whenever you're looking for confidence outside of yourself, whenever you are trying to get external validation instead of resting in the internal confirmation, you will find yourself showcasing your insecurities in a large way and giving the enemy the exact antidote that it needs to attack what God has placed on your life. They noticed Joseph because he kept wearing the coat. The thing he thought was giving him value internally made him a target externally for those who could not handle what was on him. So what am I saying? I need you all to know that you know that you know that you know that you got some worth. And then I need you to use your spidey senses, those those investigative skills that you have on social media to figure out who did what with who, when, where, why, and how. And we call those transferable skills. And I need you to begin to apply them to the circle of your connections because some of you are connected with people out of a process of your pain. So you're surrounded by people who don't want to be friendly with you. You're surrounded by people who will beat you down because to see you rise means that they would have to rise up as well. I need you to start connecting yourself with people going places. And when you are confident in your value, you recognize that confidence leaves space for you to deal with your insecurity. Confidence is not at odds with your insecurities. Confidence allows you to be truthful about where you stand with what you do. Confidence is not about saying, I do all things well, but rather it helps you understand which things, how all things you do are well or not. It does not inter, it doesn't, it does not need you to lie to yourself about how good you are. So it's not that I do all things well. It helps me recognize how well I do all things. Means I know what I'm good at. I know my lesser strengths. I know where I need to step my game up. And if I'm going to learn from Joseph, then that means if I'm going to be a good steward over what's in me, then that means I'm going to be intentional. That means if I know I'm not good at math, then I'm going to go get some help. That means fear is not an option for me to sit back silently instead of raising my hand and asking for the help. If I'm not a good writer, then I need a writer's class. It acknowledges where I fall short. So knowing who you are helps you to avoid becoming vulnerable to becoming arrogant. Arrogant in the way you handle things. Thinking that you're above reproach. Thinking that you don't got to listen to what anybody's saying. And it also shows up like this, guys. Um, I don't really care anyway. It doesn't even really matter. I'm not going to do it because it doesn't matter. That's arrogance. Because you're trying to pretend that you don't care, but you do care. You're just afraid of not succeeding at something you want really bad. And there's nothing wrong with being honest about the fact that I'm afraid to be disappointed. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm afraid that I'm going to mess up. I want to be good, but I'm afraid that I might not be. Because if you open up your mouth, you allow yourself to be surrounded by people who will pour into you the truth of what you can't see about you. So, Joseph was arrogant because he was ignorant and he was ignorant because he was insecure and he was insecure because he was unaware of his value. 
And so then he moved cockily, going to try to fake it till he makes it, going to try to pretend that he, ca- that he was something that he didn't really believe he was. And so he ultimately had to be turned over to the auspices of God. That means he was put into a position by virtue of his behavior that God was able to use for the outcome of his calling. Now, I couldn't go into all of it because that would have been too much and y'all would have been done sleep, okay? But if you continue to read the rest of the chapters, I need you to understand that Joseph is along a 13-year journey. 13 years. He went in at 17 thinking he knew everything. And he came out humble and respectful about the weight of the call that was on his life. So when he was in the pit, the pit became protective. It was intentional and it was timely because it became the incubator for his purpose so that what was in him would not get away from him in such a way that it would derail the destiny that God had already assigned to him. So he went from the pit to Potiphar's house, from Potiphar's house to the prison. Because you will end up in prison if you, if you make some choices, okay? This one, though, wasn't his fault. Y'all got to read the story. But Potiphar's wife was crazy. Joseph was good looking. And uh, she tried to come for him, and he was like, nah. And so then she was like, oh, really? So I'm going to lie and say that you tried it. So Potiphar came home and said, oh, really? So I'm going to put you in prison. And so uh, Joseph found himself in prison for years. And while in prison, he encountered two people who had dreams. And so here it is, here, here it is, not only was Joseph gifted to understand, to have dreams, but he also was gifted with the ability to discern and decipher the dreams. So he comes before the two people who work in the, uh, in the Pharaoh's house. They tell him his dreams. He's like, bet, tell me, I can let you know what it is. He tells them and he said, but I have one request. Remember me. When you get out, Remember me and tell them that I don't, I don't really need to be here. I should not be here. They get out and they forget. <laughs> Simple as that. But I believe they had to forget. Because if you pay attention to that part of scripture, Joseph was still very cocky. When they come to him with his dreams, he acknowledged that the gift came from God, but it was all about, I will tell you, and this is what it means, and this is what I know. And then by the time it two years has amassed, and they finally remember him and send for him, because now the leader of Egypt has some dreams, Joseph comes before the Pharaoh and hears his dreams, and instantly his posture is different. Not only is he giving credit to God for being the giver of the dream, but now he understands that it is not him speaking to discern the dreams, but it is God speaking through him to them about what's happening. And what I need you to understand is that no gift, talent, artistic ability is ever given to you just for you, that the gifting that is placed in you comes from God, credited by God, used through you for those who are assigned to you to be impacted by you. Your gift is not for you. Your gift makes use of you and makes room for you. So I I need you to understand that if we can understand that Joseph had to go through a process 
to get him to his promise, all because he couldn't accept his real character and value, I want you to understand that there are some things that you need to accept about you so that you don't have to go through what he went through. I need you to begin to think about what it is you desire for your life. I need you to begin to understand that the value you hold cannot afford to be in the company of common people. That the company you keep should rub you, make you, scrub you into becoming the best version of who you are. Pigeons don't fly with eagles. Pigeons don't fly with eagles. And I don't need you to be selling yourself short as if you are a bargain buy when you are a best buy. I need you to understand that you should not lower your standards to help someone else raise theirs. Where they do that at? Why are you demeaning your value to help add value to their life? That's not what it's about. If they want to be as good as you, let them rise up instead of you come down. If you got to shrink in order to make them comfortable, then you're in the wrong company. If you're with them and you have no desire to be better, you might want to consider that you might need someone else. Because if you're the brightest bulb in your pack, your pack is too dim. And, and, and I'm talking like this with you young people because you all are at a, a unique season in your life where everything is being thrown at you. And you are exposed to social media and to the illusions of lifestyles that are beyond reality. And you, if you're not careful about who you are and what you're really worth, you will begin chasing an illusion instead of qualifying the gift that's inside you already. Do you get what I'm saying? I don't even know if I got anything else to say. I'll leave you with this. It's been said that insecurities left unchecked can become lies. Lies will lead to labels and labels will make you a liability. I need you to understand that you should never question your value you can question how you're going to get there, but what you've got to do is you've got to surround yourself and hear your mentors, hear your pastors and your ministers, hear the parents and the, the adults who are speaking life to you and decide that you're going to believe it for yourself and then honor it with the choices that you make. Honor it with how you behave. I can look at you and I can tell you how little you think of you. You don't ever have to say a word. I can pay attention to what you do and how you do it. And that will let me know how little or how big you think of you. And if you're really going to go far, you've got to first accept the fact that everybody, everybody under the sound of my voice in this moment has immense value. Pastor Kay said it weeks ago and I'm echoing it right now. You are valuable. You are worthy. And in the absence of people telling you that God always sends a ram in the bush and you're seated here at this moment at 1130 on this Sunday morning because God needs you to understand that you're valuable. You cannot leave out of here today thinking that you're less than what I've called you. You are great. You are worthy. You are powerful. You will go for, I see doctors, I see lawyers, I see entrepreneurs, I see, I hear, see hairdressers, beauticians, I see college students.
students. I see associate's degrees. I see uh, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, doctoral degrees. I see certificates of completion. I see greatness in front of me. And I cancel every negative word that has ever been spoken over you. In the name of Jesus, you will be the head and not the tail. Above and not beneath. Greater is in front of you than that which is behind you. It may look like you're surrounded, but God is in your corner. No limits, no bounds, no question about your value. You will do it if you decide that you want it for you. Understand the weight of the weight. Be in service to the weight of the gifting that's on your life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Why? Being intentional with what I say about myself. This is how I fight my battles when I'm in prayer with the almighty who created me. This is how I fight my battles by choosing to write goals for my life and being determined to complete it. This is how I fight my battles. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to pretend to be about it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live this thing. I'm going to walk it like I talk it. I, I'm not going to stunt on the gram and, fa- and then fail in real life. I'm not going to do that. For what point? When you have the capacity to grow into greatness. The pit allowed Joseph to begin the progress of becoming aware, not of value, but the extent of value that was inside of him. And so there was a redemptive quality because that's just the greatness of God. And one of the things that I realized and God was saying to me is that, you know, redemption is not an excuse to be ignorant. It is the answer to your ignorance. I'll say that again. The redemption, the way God can work the story out for you on your behalf is not an excuse for you not to do your part. It's not an excuse for you to be lazy. It's not an excuse for you to be a victim. It's not an excuse for you to make excuses about why it couldn't get done and who didn't like you and how the teacher was against you and how your parents don't understand. No. The redemptive part of that story happens as an answer to the areas where you were blind. Joseph didn't know better, so he couldn't do better. And so there was a redemptive component attached to that, but you now know better. So I need you to do better. It's time to level up. Level up, level up, level up. Level up, level up. No more excuses. So if there are some who are under the sound of my voice, who says, okay, I hear you talking, preacher. (laughs) And you sound okay, you sound all right, you know. But I don't really know the fullness of who it is you're speaking about. I don't know about this man you call Jesus who redeemed it with one act for a lifetime, for an eternity. I, I don't know personally who it is you're talking about because that's the greatest redemptive story of all time. 
if that is you and you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus didn't die for us and for them, but for you as well, then I want to invite you to come down to the altar right now in the name of Jesus, if that's you. So we have salvation, we have restoration. So some of you might say, I, I ha- I've confessed and I believe. I know Jesus died, but somehow I fell off a little bit. Somehow I was sleeping on myself. I was sleeping on the greatness that was inside of me. And, and now something that you said pierced me in such a way that it has compelled me to reconnect, then I want to invite you down to the altar right now in the name of Jesus. So we've got salvation, restoration. Church membership is always. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. This is a celebratory moment. The courage that it takes to come on down. Amen. I know that there's greatness in me. I know that there's something more. I know that this can't be the end all and the be be all of all that my life is supposed to be. Pastor, minister, I hear you talking and I, I know that there has to be something more in store for me, but I don't know how to walk this thing out. I don't know how to do what it do. I don't know what to do that. You, you need to come on down to this altar. You need to come on down to this altar. Don't let pride prevent you from really tapping into the fullness of the promise that's attached to your life. If you don't know what to do, then you ought to get connected to the people who can help you figure it out. Connection. Connection. True connection. People that will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. Not to harm you, but to develop you. Salvation. Restoration. Church membership is always. Pavorous. But if you need prayer, if you want prayer, because the last few weeks have been pretty heavy in terms of being changed. Come on down. Changed. Commitment to do something differently. And now, the acknowledgement of how you have to be in service to what God has blessed you with. That's not an easy thing to do. So if you want someone to touch and agree with you, I invite you to come down to the altar. I invite you to bring your child on down here. If you are determined to ensure that they understand the weight of what has been placed inside and on their shoulders right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as everybody is coming, 
my parents, my caretakers, my caregivers, my mentors, my counselors, my social workers, whatever, if you have any type of interaction with a child, I need you to understand how powerful your words are to them. I need you, even when he's a little baby, to begin speaking over him, begin to declare over When I was a child, my father always used to speak to us. He always used to say, and this is what you will be, Pookie, that was my nickname, and this is what you will be, Booby, that was Anna, and this is what you will be, Bones, and, and this is what you will be, Pumpkin, to each of us, because it is important that as parents, we provide language to a vision that they might not fully help understand for themselves. He gave us the ability to grasp hold of something so that when we were old, enough we could figure it out for ourselves you cannot just say oh whatever they want to be I'm just gonna let them figure it out wrong you better speak that thing just like you're you're speaking to them when they don't have words and you're like mama and dada you have to feed them the language to a vision that they have not fully grasped hold of playtime is over because there is an attack and the enemy knows that bruised hills still can trample serpents heads But if you don't ever let them know it, they won't ever do it. And we all have a common enemy, an adversary that we must take out. How? By being clear about the purpose that's on our life. It's not mystical. It ain't ain't foaming at the mouth. It ain't all about speaking in tongues, but you can speak in known tongues to an enemy that's trying to tear you down. Anything that's trying to speak in contradiction of who you are, you can say it's a whole lie. Words are empty until we fill them. And what you step into will give it meaning. So that means you can reject a word that you don't want over your life. Amen? Amen. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you first saying thank you, O God. I thank you, God, because you are sovereign. And I love that part of the ways you exert your sovereignty is in the timing of events. I love how you master time. I love how you can manipulate time. I love how you can redeem time all on our behalf. So thank you, God, for this ordained moment in time. You knew exactly who would be under the sound of my voice. You knew exactly what word that needed to go forth. You knew the value that was resting in this place, oh God. And I thank you for the obedience to hear from you in accordance to your will and your way. Now, oh Holy Spirit, I call on you. Because I need you, oh Holy Spirit, to begin to whisper and minister to every broken, wounded place and the hearts and minds of these, your people, right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I need you to begin to speak words of confirmation to who it is you have created them to be. Oh Holy Spirit, I need you to bind up everything that works in contradiction to the calling that is over each and every one of their lives. Holy Spirit, minister to their hearts, their minds, and their souls right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I come against every negative word. I come against every naysayer right now in the name of Jesus. I come against every opposing force right now in the name of Jesus and replace it with the awareness, the acceptance, and the confirmation of your words. You call them worthy. You call them mighty. You call them fearfully and wonderfully made. You call them the head and not the tail. You call them above and not beneath. Oh God, you call them by name. You chose them. You conformed them into the image of your Christ, oh God. And so that is what we release over them right now 
in the name of Jesus. Right now in the name of Jesus. The name above all names. The name above all names. The name above all names. All insecurities. All doubts. All worries right now fall subjected to the name of Jesus. And so in that we arise with the authority you've given to us. We rise under the power of the awareness of the anointing of the favor that you are putting on our lives. We come against insecurity. We come against arrogance. We come against being thirsty for the acceptance of others, but rather we stand clear in the fact that we have to affirm ourselves. We'll wake up and look at ourselves and call us love. We'll look at ourselves and call ourselves beautiful. We'll look at ourselves and call ourselves successful. We'll look at ourselves and call us game changers and life agents, oh God. We'll look at ourselves and see us how you see us, oh God. Not the brokenness, not the insecurity, but only the boldness of that which you have already planted inside of us right now in the name of Jesus. Cover every caregiver, every parent right now, every adult that comes in and out of the lives of these young people. Father God, enable us to heal the wounds of our heart so that we're not finding ourselves nursing and rehearsing in ours and those who look like us, those patterns of poor maladaptive behaviors. Oh God, let us do what we need to do to be healed by you so that we can resurrect young sons and daughters to walk fully in your manifested glory. Let none of what's in us derail them from the destiny that you've placed in them and a child shall lead them out of the mouths of babes so give us the ability to hear what our youth are saying may we not do like Jacob and rebuke them but may, but may we open up an opportunity to have full conversation to understand how they think, to understand how they interpret, to understand how they maneuver, to understand what they're coming up against. And instead of walking away in fear because we don't know what to say, let us empathize. Let us remember what it was like when we were their age. Let us get in connection to what it is to take the courage it takes to get up and go to school and to deal with everything that they come up against in the name of Jesus and in the absence of what we don't know. Give us the wisdom. Give us godly wisdom to respond respond in alignment with your will for their lives. Oh God, I thank you. And so now finally, Lord, I ask for an extra dose of blessing. I pray that you not only give them tangible, physical manifestations of blessing, but I pray that they would begin to see how set apart that they are. That they would begin to understand that the gifting was never for them but begin to understand that the weight of what they carry is necessary for everyone who's been assigned to be released by what they give the world. It's in Jesus' most precious name that I pray. Amen and amen. God bless.